Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors and improvers in supply chain management today, brought to you by AI Group. Hello, I'm James Scotland, the General Manager of Supply Chain Resilience at the Australian Industry Group. And in this podcast, I get inspiration and ideas from Australia's leading and best supply chain professionals and thought leaders. As I search for the answer to how can we in Australia create supply chains that are resilient and sustainable at a time when we're implementing the challenges of the big three Ds, the digitalization, decarbonizations, and ongoing disruptions. Today, I'm keen to explore the role of procurement in sustainable supply. I've called the episode Values and Value in Modern Procurement. And my guest is the urbane and erudite Andrew Botmore. Let's talk about procurement. Once upon a time, back in the last century, back in the old days, procurement was about the businesses, uh, about keeping the businesses operating and to save money creating value through smart buying. Today, though, procurement is much more than that. ESG, sustainability, modern day slavery, carbon miles, and much more are factoring into the decisions necessary to be made by the procurement team. One of Australia's leading procurement managers is Andy Brightmore. He is a man of many things, as well as being one hell of a good guy. Andy is the executive director of the Compass Group Australia, Australia's largest food and support service organisation. And he's also executive director of Food Buy, the largest food and hospitality industry outsourced procurement capability in Australia. Andy is a true procurement professional with over 25 years in the sector. He is a fellow and senior member of the professional organization, the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply. And as a procurement specialist, Andy has worked in 17 countries across corporate, public sector and consulting roles. He now calls Australia home and he says it's the final destination in his procurement world tour. He's most certainly the person to ask about procurement and supply chain. So welcome to the show, Andy. I I know that one of the skills that you need to be a procurement specialist is being able to assess all of the options and make the right decision at the end of the day. Well, I think you've done that. You've chosen Australia over all those other options. What brought you here and how did you come to that decision? Hi, James. Um, good to talk to you and thank you for the best introduction I've ever had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that I get many. Um, yeah, look, Australia is, is, is just a wonderful happy accident in 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 my career journey um i grew up in the air force both my parents were in the air force we moved around the world quite a lot of it as a child uh, so I'm, I'm a bit of a nomad um and we were living in the uk um before australia i'd never been to australia before i was working for kpmg um uh, looking after a number of engagements all around the world uh, of procurement and non-procurement in nature and it was KPMG in Australia that rang me one day and said, hey, how would you like to come over here? Um, we couldn't think of a good reason why not. We were keen to work out where the sunshine went in the 364 days it wasn't in the UK. Um, so we jumped on a plane in 2010 um, and have never looked back. It's, it's absolutely the favourite amongst all the countries I've lived in. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to And you live in a, a hell of a good city. You live in Sydney, so you you get plenty of sunshine, surf, sand and and sunshine in Sydney. Uh, you're not planning on moving. The kids have settled. Everyone's that's it, eh? Uh, I, th- I think I'm now banned um, by the wife from moving another country. Um, 
Uh, I, I, I don't think we're planning to move from Sydney. Not that she's told me. Um, absolutely love Sydney for everything that Sydney is. But you know, Australia, all of its cities, I'm lucky enough in my world, I spend time in all the major cities and some of regional Australia. Um, and it, everyone is fascinating. So I'd be more than happy to move around uh, Australia. But yeah, Sydney's home. And other than the fact it's been a lot more wet this year than usual, um, it's typically a bit of a tropical paradise. I in your role, you do get to move around to me because it's a national role. And uh, I think you told me once that the Compass was the largest purchaser of food after the major uh, grocery chains. Is, is that right? Uh, it's hard to equate. I think, you know, Compass PLC globally, um, we're the largest food and support services organization in, in the world. Um, we're across 45 countries, one of the most significant employers in the world. Um, and in Australia, uh, amongst our peer group, uh, we're the largest and, and therefore, you know, the, the procurement that sits behind this amazing organisation in Australia is, is by default there. We're a, a, a massive procurer of food, beverage, retail, hospitality products with the supermarket oil industry, I guess, in, in that procurement scope. So, yeah, we're, we're a significant buyer in our industry in, in Australia. Well, what appeals to me is to understand how uh, the, the conversations that you have with your colleagues around the world when you when you get together in uh, you know in England or wherever your your your, your procurement conferences are, um, I'm sure you have smarter places than that to go. Uh, but is, are the challenges the same for all of your you know obviously different national challenges? But are they basically the same? Is procurement the same all around the world, or have we got unique challenges here in Australia? Oh, I think the honest answer to that is is both, James. I, I think if you take the nature of what we do for a living as a food organisation, way, you know, I'm a strong believer that good procurement is good procurement, um, and that the product, the category, the service is is an overlay to that. Um, it's a technical skill like any other technical skill, and, and how you deploy it, um, it should be you know largely the same in terms of professionalism, quality, wherever you are, whatever you do. Food brings very unique challenges. Um, food, food culture, consumers are very different by countries. The supply chains are very different by countries. Um, Australia has that tyranny of distance, um, which many of your listeners who work on the international supply chain and logistics will, will know all too well. Um, but it's also well known as a, uh, a food bowl in the region. Uh, so to have this much fresh grown produce and food manufacturing and food distribution um, in a geography this large with cities um, this far spaced out is, is very unique, I think, to Australia. Um, so the way that we do um, what we do from a supply chain perspective and our strategies may be very different, but at the heart of it, good procurement is good procurement. It must bring its own challenges for you, though, and for your team here in Australia, because we're so used to having fresh food. You know, if I can just go down to Woolies or Coles and buy some really good fresh food, and every night and every morning I have fresh food. So if I'm in a remote mining camp or a remote, you know, military base that, that you service, I expect the same. Andy, where's my fresh food? You can't tell me you can't get here. Is that, that's got to be a challenge. I mean, really. Yeah, it, it is. It's a massive challenge, and you're quite right. We, we are a fresh food organisation, and when you have this agriculture and this capability on your doorstep, um, you know why? Why wouldn't you be? Um, it's an amazing food 
um, environment Australia. Um, but you're right, the logistics of moving food around this country, um, and which has been seriously tested this year through the environmental conditions that have yeah. stopped roads, broken rail lines east to west, um, you know, following droughts, following bushfires, the logistical challenge of a geography like Australia is is immense. So um, procuring the food is one thing, making sure we provide continuity of supply and service to well over 700 locations across Australia um, through rail, through trucks, through ships. We even have helicopters flying in the morning, flying milk around um, offshore installations uh, outside of Australia. Um, it's an immense challenge, but that's what also keeps it, I think, really interesting for the people in the team, um, because no two days are the same, and the one rule in our business is one size never fits all. So, yeah, the, the geography and the logistics of Australia is extremely important, um, and I think very different for most of the other countries um, in the in the Border Compass Global Group. I um, earlier this year, I, I forgot about that. I, I was going to ask you about COVID, but the the climatic conditions were the big ones, aren't they? Earlier this year, we heard of a company in Adelaide that was trying to get stuff to Perth, and they were going up to near Alice Springs and across the Strathclyde Track, I think, to get to to Perth. They're going hundreds of, you know, probably thousands of kilometres out of their way just to make the delivery happen. I'm sure your guys deal with that regularly. Be creative, I guess you say to them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the one thing that everybody expects and deserves is you know minimum three meals a day of, of a high quality and a high food safety. You, you can't not feed people. So um, you think about the last couple of years in Australia, um, and for me as a you know somebody who's come to Australia to to work through extreme drought, um, to floods, to bushfires, then to COVID, um, we have just this year um, flown food from Alice Springs into the Northern Territories because you just couldn't get through the roads because of the, the rain damage. Mm. Um, the rail line that did go down uh, that moves uh, food from east to west across the country, that went down for a number of weeks. Um, and it's, it's the main arterial line for all kind of capital and non-capital cargo in, into the west. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a business that um, you can plan you can risk test, you can disaster scenario as, as much as you want. Um, but on the day that something goes wrong, we have to get free food to people because they have a right to, to fresh foods, to have their, their, their meals per day. Uh, and especially in those remote communities, whether it's our resources clients where, you know, guys are disappearing into uh, um, tough environmental conditions. Um, you've got to get water to them so they stay hydrated, um, if nothing else. Um, so, yeah, our, our service is really, really important, not just for the customers, but our people are on those sites serving all day. Um, we have to make sure our supply chain is capable, resilient, and, and truly agile when the conditions move against us. Well, let's talk about that. Um, but before we do, just a reminder about how big the country is and you know, it's good to have you as a, a former Englishman talking about this. So, you know, Peter Behoovy, who was the former head of Volvo Trucks in Australia, uh, told me that when he came from uh, uh, Europe, I, I think maybe, you know, Holland. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Sorry, Peter. Uh, but when he came to Australia, they said, hop in a, you know, a semi-trailer and we'll, or a B-double 
and we'll take up to Darwin. So he went from from Melbourne to Darwin and just could not imagine the the size. No one could possibly explain how far it was until you get in a truck. And, and he was building trucks. They said, you have to build trucks for this condition and it's mind-boggling. You've got the same challenges. Uh, you've got to get fresh food within the, the food limitations in and out. Um, I guess you've got to get rid of food a fair bit too. They can't just toss it out the back window and let it rot in the, on the ground, can you? Oh, absolutely not. I think one of the most memorable um, uh, travel events for me when I first um, joined this this amazing company was to go and visit a, a cattle farmer um, in, in the north of the country and follow the supply chain um, to our sites. And I can't tell you how many planes, there was a couple of helicopters, there were some quad bikes um, to get to the cattle farm itself um, and to stay on this cattle station with the farmer uh, as he talked us through his breeding philosophy, then to follow it all the way back through abattoir manufacturing processing to distribution center and then back out to site it's it's a massive logistical operation um which just means that the relationships that we have to have with suppliers across all the tiers and the logistics partners um you know the drivers that move things from point to point um, is just so important to us um and i think that talks to why procurement and supply chain is so much a core part of our business um, and, and treated as a strategic part of the business because of that dependency on moving vital product around some amazing geographies uh, and, uh, and locations around the country. Um, and that's before you get to how we also um, deliver food, provide services, you know, and, and um, try to do a bit for other Australian communities, especially in regional areas as well. So there's another of complexity in terms of geography and distance on top of just the day-to-day -day supply. It's, it's an immense blessing when you get it right, um, and it's an immense challenge when something goes wrong. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad you said that because the whole point of this uh, podcast is to talk about the complexities of supply chain. A lot of people just think, oh, well, it's about putting it on a truck and getting it up to wherever you need to go to, but there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, before we get on to the procurement part of supply chains, uh, you're executive director of food buy not many people would know what that is it's a, it's a business to business a better b business um do you want to just give it a quick explanation of a, a quick uh, uh intro to what food buy is all about yeah sure um so food buy is essentially a journey of a um procurement function as most kind of procurement organizations are their internal functions as part of wider businesses it's a journey of taking an internal procurement function and rebuilding it with a true sense of um, customer service, customer first, rather than internal stakeholder um, uh, as, a, as a language, I guess, uh, which most of us use more commonly. And then building the capability, the data, the technology, the systems, and the supply chain and the supply relationships such that um, you can then essentially disconnect it from being an internal function stand it up as its own organization and offer that capability uh, and those relationships to other organizations um, across the food and hospitality industry. Uh, and that's really what Food Buy is. It, it describes that journey from internal function to fully stand standalone business, if you like, where uh, we have an immense team of not just procurement people, um, but people from many disciplines right across the Food Buy business across Australia, delivering on behalf of 
all of our clients, um, of which Compass is both our client and, and our parent organization. I remember when Food Buy was a German idea and you guys were bouncing it around uh, and, and you launched it just a little bit before COVID hit, I think. It's been you know, an interesting journey, but from my memory of when you're setting up Food Buy, you based a lot of it on a set of principles and values around supplier engagement and your team engagement and the market engagement. You, you sort of spoke a lot about values and principles. How did these foundations serve you when you hit the COVID major disruption, you know, new business and all of a sudden you hit something that was completely unpredictable. Did you find that your values and your 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 principles were right? Were they, they set correctly? Uh, yeah, I think um, thankfully so. In fact, we, we kind of deliberately tried to make that happen, if you like. Um, when COVID um, hit us all, all of our organizations and, and all of us, you know, personally and professionally, uh, none of us knew whether it was six days, six weeks, who know, would have known it would have been two years and fundamentally changed um, not just our economy, but our working environments and our, and our personal environments and our personal behaviours. So when we were leaning into understanding that this, this was a fairly fundamental change um, in the environment, um, we kind of sat down as a team and said, okay, what are, how are we going to behave through this? What are we going to do? How are we going to reprioritize? What are we going to focus on? And the first conversation we had was, um, what do we want to be remembered for five years from now? And, and that dictates how, we, how we're seen to behave, how we want to behave. Not just um, how do we want our customers to think of us, but how do we want our suppliers to think of us and how do we want to think of each other? So that forced us to put our values first. Um, and when I think about how the team who are separated, as we all were, um, through um, state restrictions and lockdowns, uh, we spent two years running the business, talking to each other, uh, maintaining our relationships by a, by a video screen, a computer screen. Um, it's, it's those values that were embedded in, in how our people um, behave, because they're the ones that live the values, otherwise they're just, they're just words on a page, right? Um, how they held on to those values and lived by them. Um, that helped us come through um, the pandemic, um, but also come out, I think, as a stronger, richer team um, to make sure that you know, our, our clients could depend on us, could trust us, um, and equally as importantly, you know, that our suppliers saw our behaviours um, to be ones that supported their businesses, um, not just through the past two years, but you know, to be a, a customer of choice that they want to continue and building relationships with us long into the future. So I, I think COVID was a fundamental test of our values. Um, and by putting them forward, I think we, we, we served them well. In the, the first episode of Supply Circles, uh, Steve Meing talked about procurement uh, being relationship, that it can't make it transactional. Uh, and I, I thought of you because you, you've said the same thing for many years, that you don't, that, that, that transactional, that percussive type of relationship where you're beating suppliers down into uh, the minimum possible price uh, uh, is not necessarily the way to get the best value. And, and from that, you put your values. Am I putting words into your mouth or is it a fair description? No, I think it's a fair description. I, I think tactical procurement and, and, you know, 
price focus, it serves a purpose in, in specific environments or specific points in time. Um, I don't think either one's sustainable. Um, and certainly if, if, as most businesses are, they, they look to grow, expand, diversify, um, then I think you should have a procurement and supply chain function and a suite of suppliers that can fuel that growth and, and that diversification. Um, so we all have to make sure, and the you know, fundamental job of all procurement teams is to make sure that from a competitive advantage point of view, our organizations are, are placed in the best spot amongst their peer group inside their industries. But I do think it's that broader sense of value. And, and, and as you said, right at the, the top of this discussion, that there's parts of our um, economy now and our business economy like ESG and sustainability that were, um, that, you know, there were nowhere near as important. They weren't talked about 15, 20 years ago, not that many years ago in the great span of, of, of time. They're now fundamental. So I think that the power of supply chain and the relationships you have with that supply chain to find value, invest in value, um, discover things, and bring them A to the organization and then ultimately to deliver that value and, and get recognition from that value with the end customer. Um, I, I think that's fundamentally a very different and very exciting place for, for procurement and supply chain functions and professionals to be um, than you know, many years ago. Um, for us, we're, we're a food and hospitality business. We're, we're all about people. Um, uh, our clients are all about people and consumers, um, uh, and therefore so is our supply chain. So we're, we're lucky that, that that people sit right at the heart and relationships sit right at the heart of our business and, and how we're successful. But you can have a – how do you do that? You can have a relationship with your supplier. Um, but with ESG and, and sustainability and, 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 and pivots and all sorts of problems, geopolitics, you could say to your supplier, uh, I need to go further down or further up the supply chain. I need you to tell me who your supplier, supplier, suppliers are, and I need to check them to make sure they're okay. And a, a supplier is likely to say to you, no, nah, that's my competitive advantage, Andy. I don't want to pass that information on. And so you get to this situation where you say, well, I have to know. How, how do you manage that situation? Yeah, that's a really good question because I don't think there's one answer. Um, I think it very much depends on the supplier, the buyer, the relationship, the the, the trading relationship, the period of time you've known each other. You know, it's all a, it's all a journey of discovery, and I think the conversation you have with a um, a tactical supplier who who um, you deliberately use in that vein versus a you know a strategic supplier or a, you know all the other forms of, of supply market that a procurement buyer may have. Um, they all vary. I, I think the one thing is it has to be by design. I think the, the the way that you go to market, the way that you describe to the market the relationship that you want to have or that you're trying to foster or that as a business you need um, so that you get the right responses back and, and the supply market truly understands what it is you're looking for. You know, lots of people say uh, we're looking for value. Okay, but how do you really define that? What does it mean? And, and it's not just tangible stuff. A lot of it is relationship and a lot of it might be future focused and you don't quite know yet. So how you engage with the supply market and set the scene makes those future conversations on, on how do we realize that obviously a lot, a lot easier. Um, if you go to market, if you present yourself as I just want this thing uh, and I want it as cheap as possible and that's it. When you come back afterwards and put overlays on, on top of it, um, then it becomes a more complex question. But you know, I think 
the environment evolves, the business evolves, the supply chain evolves, the buyer has to evolve, the relationship has to evolve. There will be some suppliers that's reluctant to, to, to take you down those alleyways because they believe it's competitive advantage. But I think if it's competitive advantage, then why wouldn't you share it? You know, why do you gain competitive advantage if it's not to deliver that, show that, bring that to your customers? Um, and that's what, that's what we are. We're a buyer with the customer of our supply chain. So if you want to create these, these pockets of excellence and this innovation, you're not doing it to keep it to yourself. It's because you want to, you want to pass it up the chain and we're keen to see it. We're keen to understand it. We're keen to, um, to, to bring it to our customers. Um, otherwise it's, it, it, you know, it remains, it remains trapped. So, um, I, I think. I think how you present yourself, how you how you pick, qualify, how you build your relationships, and I think how you build trust along the way. Um, once you've started that relationship, um, I've often heard of the the, the buyer supply relationship being the same as a marriage, um, and for some that will me- resonate positively, and, and some that might not. I don't know, but <laughs> like a marriage, yeah, um, you know, the relationship takes time. It's based on trust. It's based on honesty. And, and it's about both sides delivering what they promise and, and supporting each other, no matter which which end of the environmental change um, the challenge is coming from. Yeah, great answer. Uh, this idea of values, uh, that you go to the market with your values and, and just always maintain the same values. And when you ask them to trust you and say, trust me with your, with your you know, supplier suppliers, they'll say, sure, because we've built that relationship. Nice answer. When we come back, let's just get a bit more tactical and talk about uh, the tactics of procurement. If you have supply chain or business improvement challenges, contact AI Group's Business Improvement and Growth Hub. The Big Hub is a library of practical and relevant resources designed to assist member businesses to grow and improve. The Big Hub also includes an extensive network of experienced pre-qualified business improvement consultants. For more details, contact big at aigroup.com.au. That's B-I-G at aigroup.com.au. And during the uh, COVID days, we saw a change in inventory management. We, uh, what many people are saying, moving from just in time to just in case, where you have to identify who your key suppliers are rather than your biggest suppliers. Did your team go through that or is it a different industry? Does not work in food. Uh, look, I, I think we all go through it. The the, the size and shape changes. Um, so we have, as you you talked about earlier, we have clients in remote locations that are um, cyclone zones, and they will have cyclone stock um, as part of their contingency planning. We have hospitals and aged care centres um, where you know, patient-specific dietary requirements and allergen-free zones are, um, you know, very heavily regulated for all the, all the right reasons. You know, they're patient care environments where, you know, having inventory, having, you know, continuity of the, the right product is, is everything. Variation potentially can cause harm. Um, so the, the, the complexities of moving product and making sure the right inventory as a, is at the right place um, is no different to anybody else. It's compounded a little bit by the fact that it's it's a daily fresh uh, business, <clears throat> um, and that just shapes the the supply chain, the logistics chain that sits behind it. Um, but our challenge is the same. Like I think um, disruption to the supply chain 
um, is just a lot more immediate for us because of that, that freshness. So our ability and the supply chain's ability to react quickly um, is, is something we have to spend a lot of time focusing on and make sure we, we test properly. Uh, it, it sounds incredibly complex. I imagine that the business is, is data-driven. You, you, you use your systems more than your people to make sure you're getting uh, the right answers? Or? Yeah, look, I, I think we have deliberately um, made data our differentiator. Um, we're a, we're a, if I describe my business very simply, at the heart of our business is data um, wrapped in a layer of um, procurement and supply chain uh, that works within the layer of customer and customer service. It's kind of those three concentric circles to, to paint a visual. But yeah, data um, sits at the heart of our business. And um, as we grow, being able to scale through data is a very powerful and very efficient thing rather than being able to or having to scale without data, which you know just then becomes more manual processes. So when you look at the hundreds of thousands of products in our supply chain, um, the kilometers that it moves every day, um, the power of data to see what's happening, the power to um, understand where the risk is and to track that risk, and also to use data really positively um, to help tell the stories of food, to show people the source and the origin, um, to help people have confidence in uh, how the data supports food safety and, and allergen management. Um, we have invested a significant amount over a number of years in uh, not just data, but the systems that house it, um, the supply chain that feeds data in, um, and the capability in our team of some extremely clever um, uh, systems, uh, data, analytical people that convert all of these. I, I think we, we collect millions of, of, of attributes of data every year. Um, and that's fine and wonderful, but drawing out the insights. So the pace of picking the data up and, and driving an action from it, that's really the key. Um, mm. So we, we all think we're agile, but that data really drives that, that agility and helps you live it. So, yeah, we, we want to invest more in the people that can bring out the insights and help us make great decisions quickly. Um, uh, and that means we've got to have just the, the fundamentals of data systems and technology that supports them. Um, it, it really is a key driver right at the heart of our business. AI Group recently released a report saying uh, on on the digital transformation and talking about how hard it is to find people that can handle the data, a lot of people that can, that can do what you're talking about. Uh, do you, like everybody else, struggle with uh, the finding the good people or uh, uh, are you Richard Branson bringing the, the right attitudes and train them? Oh, I'm blessed with having amazing people in the organization. You know, those that have helped us build it, those with us now and, and those to come. Uh, we're a people business. Um, People come first and, and looking after them and their talents and their capability. Yeah, that's what every good leader should be should be focused on. Um, I, I think for me, when it comes to data, um, I've heard lots of people talk about the paralysis of data. Um, and I think I think there's a very fine line for organizations around having so much data. It's so exciting to see what's happening. It tells you so many things. You end up with 400 dashboards and 17 different screens. Um, uh, and, and people looking at it and, and trying to understand and decipher it, how you have a lot of data um, that uh, that gives you simple insights, I think is the key. So every day I can I I pick up my um, my iPad or my phone 
and I look at three dashboards and it tells me the state of the business and then I go off and, and do what I need to do. Um, I do believe that from a procurement perspective, and, and this applies, I think, across lots of professions, but certainly from a procurement perspective, um, deals are not done by email. They're not done by video conferencing. Relationships are not built in that way. Um, so relationships with customer, relationships with supply chain are typically best done face-to-face -face in the room, COVID willing. Um, so if we can have a data environment that easily visualizes what the individual needs so they can leave the desk and go and invest more time in the, in the relationship, then I think that that's magic. That's where success and growth comes from. Um, not, not having better data and more dashboards to spend more time looking at on, on a screen. Um, I, I think that's something I'm very conscious of as we continue to mature our data environment. Um, it, it's how do we make it simple? Um, and when you get a lot of data, making a lot of data translate very simply, um, takes really clever people to do that. Certainly cleverer than me. I, I, you and I both know companies, particularly suppliers that say to us proudly, I know we've got 23 KPIs that we manage and, and I always say, no, no, you've got 23 PIs, performance indicators. What are the keys? What are the key performance indicators? The two or three that I'll tell you. Um, and I was laughing with someone yesterday about, about football where they've got stats on every single player doing every single thing these days. But at the end of the day, did you win? You know, if you don't yeah. win, it doesn't matter what those stats are. Uh, and the stats don't always add up to winning. You know, there's, you know, you've got to use it as data. It's not, there's nothing, nothing magical or mystical about it. It's data that you use for analysis. Um, let's put your procurement hat on rather than just your compass or food buy, uh, buy hat. One of the issues that you and I have chatted about over the years is the difference between procurement and supply chain management. And, and uh, an issue that we've heard a lot about over the years is uh, a supplier going to a procurement uh, officer and saying, I've got an innovative idea that will fix a problem. Rather than buying this from me, let's change the contract so that I supply this and it will solve a problem you've got. And the procurement people say, I'm busy. I just want to buy this from you. Just give me this at this price and let's move on. So you lose the innovation. How does a procurement um, manager make sure that you're picking up both innovation but also that best value or, or, uh, that we were talking about before well uh, yeah it's a really good question and and um i think where you started and in, in how you described that question is, is what i've seen in lots of organizations with a a not always a procurement person it can be a technical person it could be an engineer um somebody saying hey i've got the solution and then running into a room and say hey guys i've, I've got a solution who wants it um uh, and, and the folks in that room are saying, well, hold on a minute. We, we never articulated the question to you. We actually want something very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, innovation gets, gets stifled um, and people lose motivation and, and it all comes crashing down. I, I think the key is to, and, and certainly what, as we described before, we, what we've done is said, okay, everybody outside of us is a customer. Let's think of them as a customer. Let's treat them like a customer. Let's go and ask the customer, what do you want? What's important to you? What are you trying to solve for? Um, and uh, many customers want many different things and you, know, you build up enough customer sentiment, you now get a picture of the organization, whether it's asking the board level um, or asking the functional level, whatever it may be, asking the market. We're all trying to understand what it, what is it our customer wants. If we do that bit first and then we run off into the supply chain to say, hey, I need a solution. Who's got something that's interesting? When you bring it back, 
hopefully more times out of 10, unless the environment or the people have shifted on you, you're going to find people that say, that's exactly what I asked for, or that's interesting to me. Tell me more, engage me more, plug me in, show me how that works. Um, I, I think a, a lot of us, and I think human nature is we want to fix things. Um, and we perceive there's a problem, off we go to fix it. We haven't actually validated whether other people think that's a problem themselves. Uh, and uh, where I see that happening, where, where I see that internal deep customer engagement, I see a marked difference in the relationship between procurement and its organization um, than I see in other areas where you, know, you get that traditional disconnect um, and procurement not potentially seen as valued or strategic. Um, value added to the the organization versus a transacting function. But I think it's turning that question around. Um, and I do think, and it's served me well over over many years, so I'm, I'm biased because it's personal experience. When, when you think of everybody outside of your team as the customer and you treat them as such and you talk to them as such, um, I, I think you get a very different outcome and you, you, you have a very different frame of mind yourself as well. But that takes a lot of time. Uh, you know, you've got to say to your people, here's the, the elbow room to be able to build a relationship and to look for, for answers rather than just saying, I need to buy 100 widgets at this price. Yeah, you're exactly right. The, the day job of all procurement functions is the economic imperative and supply continuity. Um, so, you know, providing the right products to the right spec at the right quality, the right point in time at the right price, that's the day job. And for many organizations, that's what they want from their, their procurement team. Um, for many others, and I certainly think with things like ESG um, and uh, all the other dynamics uh, that, that talk to organizational success, um, I hope, I feel, I see more and more organizations expanding the boundaries of what they want from their procurement team. And a lot of it's on, on the, the procurement folks and supply chain folks to, to demonstrate what else they can do as well. And, and and to show the business they can play a broader role. And it's easier said than done in many environments, I know, but um, I, I, think, I think there's something lost um, when an organization sees procurement as, as purely a, a financial arm as the business or the transacting arm as the business. And, and, and when we think about ESG and, and sustainability that has to come from the supply chain and innovation that has to come from the supply chain, you know, the competitive advantage from not having a board um, procurement remit. Um, that's a great differentiator between you know the, the organisations that are succeeding and those that's going to struggle, especially now coming out of COVID and as everybody tries to uh, either resurrect their business or take advantage of the opportunities in the marketplace. Yeah, we're really landing on this point that the modern day supply chain uh, involves a values and a value driven procurement. You can't just be the old style of Give me the give us all the value. <laughs> the value has to be shared uh, along the supply chain in order to get the most value out of it. Yeah, I, I think you know that there has to be a recognition that suppliers have a choice. Um, they have a choice who they supply to. They have a choice who they want to invest their relationships. Um, there has to be a recognition that the um, the challenges in in your organisation, whether it's inflationary cost pressures, whether it's um, you know labour availability or, or, or labor cost pressures, they're the same pressures that have been felt in the supply chain. Um, and if you're not building a relationship where you can uh, share those pressures, share the pain, celebrate the successes, uh, and people don't trust or believe that you're, you're in it for the midterm, if not the long term, 
suppliers have a choice to make of where they want to spend their time and which customers they want to spend their value with. Um, and I think most of us want to be right there in, in, in the center of that radar because you want to be more important than your competitors and you want to get all the innovation from the supply chain. The supply chain has the expertise. One of the, the great expressions from uh, episode one was um, in periods of supply shortage, like we are with typically getting things in from overseas, bad buyers get fired. Uh, because suppliers have the hand, you know, I've only got so much supply to supply. Uh, so I'll find the good buyers, uh, the ones that are going to treat me right, build a relationship and make it worth my while. Uh, I love it. It's, uh, bad buyers get fired is, is not 100% the truth, but it is part of the, the equation. Just don't think uh, uh, that you've got the upper hand necessarily. It should be an equal hand. Uh, we've talked about ESG before. Well, I've got a, an ethical question for you, seeing as that you're a, uh, a man of many years of procurement, and I know you like a good, a good question, a good challenge. Um, so, uh, defining modern-day slavery um, has been difficult. It's, I know that your organisation is is determined to ensure they don't have modern-day slavery in their supply chain, but but uh, defining it has been a little bit difficult. Uh, Unilever recently, or quite a few years ago, defined it as many things including a fair living wage. So that's an interesting term because it means uh, for every different marketplace is a different, that varies. What's a fair living wage in Australia is different from Sri Lanka and, uh, and elsewhere. And so here's my question. If, if you were a procure, uh, setting up a global procurement setup and you gave, came across a supplier who was not providing their employees with a fair living wage, ESG would say you need to move on. You know, you try and get them to pay them properly. If they don't, you move on to a new supplier. But here's the, here's the problem. Uh, it, that would mean that the people who suffer the most are the ones that aren't getting the fair living wage. They would probably lose their, their wage altogether if you took your business away. So how do you resolve that? Just going back to your 20-something uh, years of procurement, how do you manage that issue of there's the right thing to do, but there's also the real world thing to do. No, that's, that's a, a really good question. Um, and especially in Australia, where the, the, the Modern Slavery Act is you know, a relatively new piece of legislation that organisations are, are working their way through. Um, I, I think, yeah, at the heart of it, we have an, an absolute abhorrence of, of modern slavery in, in all of its forms. Um, and I think there's a recognition that, to your point, um, every case every scenario that comes across has to be treated in its own right um every every instance has its has its own nuance you need to work through the first challenge you've got is visibility you know where is it happening can you see it um how far down the tier of your supply chain um is it happening that, that visibility is one of the biggest challenges that we're all globally trying to adjust our supply chains to be to be better at um i think then it's it's a recognition that at the end of this scenario event, there's there's a victim, there's a there's a human person um, that is potentially being abused, uh, having their freedoms um, uh, constrained and curtailed, and it's that care for the victim that should guide um, how you react to these situations. Um, in some cases, it, it's just appropriate to say I cannot deal with that supplier. There's many cases where that, that might be the, the right reaction, but after investigation, a, a default emotional reaction 
um, I, I, without investigation, I think is, is a tough thing to walk through. Um, there's many cases where actually it might be something you can remediate with the supply and certainly for organizations like mine who are significant in our marketplace, we have a responsibility, we have an opportunity to, to change the shape of the supply base, to demand better, to help suppliers become better. Um, and I think there's, there's equal merit in, in working with suppliers to change their conditions, to provide a better environment um, for employees to work in. So it's really case by case, but I, I think at the start, you have to be deeply committed to first recognizing this is an issue and it's not an issue in other countries. It's an issue in your own country and other countries. It's a global issue that it's an imperative for your business that you have to invest in it. And when those scenarios come up, you have to investigate it properly. And always remember there's a victim at the other end and determine the right course of action that's right for your organization, but hopefully looks after the the victim um, just at the end of the channel. Yeah, that really shows values, doesn't it? You know, you, having the right value in place means you can make the right decisions. I, um, I've, I've enjoyed the chat, Andy. Thank you. Thank you very much. We've got decarbonisation coming towards us. We've got digitalization. I'm sure there's going to be more disruptions, including possibly, you know, a global massive inflation. Um, what do you see as the most immediate uh, challenges for supply chain and procurement in the next few months. What do you, what do we need to be looking at right now? Oh, next few months. That's a very short time frame. Um, uh, right now, you can, take think... it, you can take it in twelve months if you like. <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you. A little bit more leeway to play with. Um, look, I think it's about capability. Um, when you, when you look at all of those challenges, um, and I'm very much biased, of course, as a, as a procurement and supply chain person for far too many years now. I truly believe that procurement is a, is a really exciting profession to have. It's, it's one of those professions that you, you can stretch and learn as much as you can and be as integrated inside your business and then stretch outside and be an integrated outside of the business. It, it's, a, it's an amazing kind of brokerage career between supplier and customer. And I think all those challenges just make the, the profession uh, uh, really exciting um, and the value you can add uh, as, a, as a professional and as part of a team to your organization deeper, broader than, than ever before. Um, but we need the capability. We need great people trained to great standards, supported by uh, institutes like SIPs and, and great leaders in great environments um, because procurement, as, as I said up front, it, it's, a, it's a people related, it's a, a relationship related skill set. Um, and while we can supplement it with data and systems and apps, um, the people are the most important. So building capability, investing in that capability, training, development experience, uh, that for me is, is always the first place that is going to get us through whatever challenges and opportunities that's in front of us, whether we can see them coming or, uh, or like the pandemic, we, we didn't see coming. That's a great place to finish uh, what you're saying, is, if I'm hearing it correctly. Uh, is that uh, suppliers and buyers and staff are all people uh, and you've got to uh, get the best out of all of them. And the best way to get that is through having values, clearly defined values in place and agreeing that you're all looking for value. We work together, uh, but based on some good values. Uh, that's great. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for joining the show. Um, and I hope your next 12 months is uh, maybe a bit easier than the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, James. Great pleasure. Thank you.